I am Kendra. And Ramon. As we have in our previous podcast, we always start with a powerful motivational quote. It goes by saying, if people are doubting how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. I'm going to say that one more time. If people are doubting how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. Huh? What is it? If people <laughs> are doubting, hallelujah, how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. Man, that correlates with success lives on elevation. That means... The higher if, you elevate. Exactly. The less you can't hear them no more. Yeah, because you unreachable. You like, oh, well, sh- I'm up here. You yelling from way down there at the bottom of the hill. Keep on yelling. Hey, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, Ramon, you want to go ahead and give, give us a synopsis of the current housing market, housing trends that I'm so confused about? <laughs> yeah, I was just checking my uh, fantasy football, you know what I'm saying, because I'm killing it this week. Oh, gosh, whatever. Okay. So, yeah. anyways, in April through June, the housing market was doing great because of the drop in interest rates. Um, home prices increased. There were lots of bidding wars. But we want to talk about currently because we're going from September to October, and there's a lot of predictions that I'm confused about. Like, are rates increasing? Are houses, I can't talk, are houses being listed um, at increasing rates or is it stagnant? Are we dropping, declining, I mean, or like what? what is going on? So, according to uh, Redfin.com, as far as the housing market, the median sale price for the average house sale has increased 11% year over year. So that price is $328,419, and that's as of August. So the last podcast, it was, what, three oh four. Right. So it's increased 24000 in the last few weeks. Um, the number of houses sold has increased 4% year over year. Uh, at 652878 And the average interest rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage has uh, got increased almost at a percent um, year over year at 2.9% interest rate. But currently, where is it? Because things have decreased as far as the housing interest, or excuse me, as far as interest rates. Is that correct? No, I mean, interest rates are still low. Um, they're still sub 3%, which is still historically low. So, like, you can still, when you're uh, acquiring a property, you're 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 getting that lower interest rate under 3%. Now, if you're refinancing, um, you can still get around that 3% depending on what kind of refinances you're doing. Uh, but right now, just as far as being, homes, homes being sold with a 30-year mortgage, it's right under 3% interest rate. That's so, 
you know, yeah, you think last year they were in the mid four and a half percent. So that is a big difference on your mortgage uh, payment per month. So if you guys still have a four percent, four and a half percent interest rate on your mortgage, now is the time to refinance. Yes, absolutely. Um, home sales are high, but the supply is low. So there is, um, there are still bidding wars going on um, where you see, I just heard something like 20 minutes ago where someone was listing a home for, I think like 560 and the home sold for um, 630 and it sold in a week. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's hella crazy. That's that's hella crazy that it sold like 80,000 over asking. I'm sure there are houses, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, that have sold for more. But just recently, because normally this is when how, you know, like um, listed housings, listed housing, housings that are listed, they decrease. That Uh number decreases as you get into um, the fall and winter because you have school and then you have, you know, other things that people do, the holidays and stuff like that. Um, so normally, you know, things start to decline. Well, are I we mean, going, do you think we'll see a decline? We are actually, so this is what is really going on. There is not enough homes on the market uh, compared to the buyers. So like you said, homes have sold. 32% above list price, which is an increase of 8.2 points year over year. So, um, and then the homes with price drops. So somebody puts their home on for 100000 and then they drop it to 90000 after a month. That has only been 13.2%, which is a, a 4.4% 4. 4% drop uh, year over year. Now, a sale to list price meaning people, the average uh, homes, uh, what they sold versus what they were listed for is 99.3%. Mm. Uh, if it was 100% or more, that means on average, buyers are paying more for a list for a house that more than what it was listed for. So you're almost at that 100%. Wow. So that's pretty, you know, it's pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm looking at a, a graph here and it, it's um, it's indexed by stable housing market, strong housing market, and then very strong housing market. And then the very strong housing markets um, are Washington State, Idaho, Alaska, um, Arizona, New Mexico, and Virginia. And that would be Virginia, like the DMV area. Uh-huh. Um, and DMV being D.C., Virginia... Yeah. Maryland. Um, and then like the strong housing market, it's it's a lot of different states. It it would be like thirty states except uh North Dakota and Louisiana, which are which have stable housing markets. So right now everything is either strong or very strong, which is great. Um, you know, as we go through the pandemic and many things as far as the housing market, which agents, real estate agents are saying is so weird because they've never seen anything like this. 
Um, <laughs> and you also have, you know, the stock market, which is so volatile. Like there have been days where we have looked at our um, investment apps and it literally is bleeding. Um, just the other day, I just, I saw that my stocks decreased by, it wasn't much, it was $150. But the next day, like literally Thursday, as a matter of fact, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember. Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. Thursday, it went back up $75 and everything was green. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, it's just, it, the market it's just is, so, it's, it's, it's crazy. There's so many things that is uh, affecting the market from the in- the Fed's interest rates, um, the unemployment numbers, you know, if people are actually going back to work or if that has, in- you know, if that's increased or decreased, uh, you know, tech is really the only thing that has been pretty much consistent as far as. But even that, tech is losing some of its momentum. And it's only be it'll only be for like a few days. Yeah, that's true. But then true. you know, um, you have some of your recovery stocks that are though a lot of those companies are going bankrupt, um, or or really going near bankruptcy. You know, so uh, you kind of got to you know this is the time to really reevaluate your stock portfolio because um, you don't want to wake up and lose half your money. Um, so yeah, back to the uh, the market real quick. We're gonna give the top ten fastest growing sale price cities. Top ten metros with the fastest growing sale price. All right, I'm, I'm, are this we playing a, a guessing game is, or no? No, we're oh, okay. <laughs> and this is according to Redfin.com. As of what date? As of August. Oh, okay, okay. So this is very current. This is recent. All so. Right. The number one top 10 metro with the fastest growing sale price. Actually, you know what? I go from 10 to 1. <laughs> so the number 10 is Boca Raton, Florida. Who wants to live in Florida? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Oh, gosh. I don't like Florida. Actually, a few of these on this top 10 list is in Florida. Right. But see, you know what? For And just, sorry, just to kind of interject here. Florida right now is both a great seller's and buyer's market. Uh-huh. When I was telling you about that graph where it had the weak, stable, and strong housing market, uh-huh. Florida, across the board, is, is stable. I mean, it's very stable. It is. Uh, number nine, Cape Coral, Florida. Number eight, Memphis, Tennessee. 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 Number seven. St. Petersburg, Florida. Jeez. Number six, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, see? Number five, Melbourne, Florida. (laughs) Number four, Delray Beach, Florida. Number three, Fort Lauderdale. Number two, Naples, Florida. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And number one. I'm going to let you guess this one. It's in Tennessee. It's in the state of Tennessee. Nashville? Nope. Chattanooga. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay, so They have why? the fastest growing sales price, so that just means that the sale prices just keep going up. Oh, wow. At a rapid pace. Why? Is there, like, something 
a well, corporation already or something. Been, oh, Florida, all those cities are cheaper cities in Florida. And, no, know, I'm talking about Chattanooga. Like, what is oh, the well, reason? Oh, Chattanooga, remember Tennessee don't have no state tax. Oh, yeah. And it's not too far from, it's only a few hours drive, I would say, from like Knoxville, I think Charlotte, Atlanta. Well, I, yeah, the most of Atlanta is not too far away. Mm-hmm. So it's within, I would say, five to six hours drive of a lot of other major cities. So, you know, as as those cities are growing and, you know, increasing in rents and things like that, people are going to the, the outskirts. Wow. Um, so those are the top 10 fastest growing sale price cities. Okay, so what is the reason for all these cities in Florida? Like, if you remember in 2008, Arizona and Florida were the first two cities to see a major decrease before everything just start going to. Well, to the remember pits. though, Florida and Arizona are retirement Communities, states. Yeah. But now with COVID, and then a lot of companies allowing people to work from home. You know, hey, and then Florida is good weather all year round. It's uh, <laughs> well, except for the hurricane. Well, yeah, except for the hurricane, <laughs> but you know, warmer weather. The cost of living is still cheaper. Uh, I'm sure there's some other good stuff down there, but hey, those I know are the nothing places. about them good things in Florida. I don't. Fort Lauderdale is not too bad. I, I kind of like Fort Lauderdale. The other ones on this list. Uh, uh, now one more other top ten. What's list. okay? Let's jump off subject here. Okay. What's wrong with your dog? He is like crying his little heart out. He just wants some attention. <laughs> All right, so these are the top 10, and then we'll get into the show. This is the top 10 most competitive cities. And I'm going to I'm going to very much assume that is that has to deal with um, a lot of bidding wars. Mm-hmm. So these are top 10 most competitive cities. Hopefully, y'all don't live in one of these. <laughs> or, yeah, because rent or, is going to get increased. Or if you're selling a home, then hopefully you do live in one of these. Right. So, I go number 10. Number 10, Sacramento, California. I actually kind of like Sacramento. Sacramento is cool. I, I did like it, but it's kind of farmer-ish. Some parts, yeah. Uh, number 9, Richmond, VA. VA. I love VA. Number 8. Seattle, Washington. Of course. Of course. Number seven, I'm not too surprised about this, Oakland, California. Oakland. San Francisco, people getting out of there. Yeah, they are. Number six, Lakewood, Colorado. Okay, all right. So that's outside of Denver. Number five, Aurora, Colorado. All right, Aurora. That's where the fam stay. Number four, Spokane, Washington. Which is on the far east side of Washington. We have not been. We, we need to go. Through. Yeah, no, yeah. We need to go. Number three, Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha. Number two, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Why? I don't know. Number one, Tacoma, Washington. Oh Lord, have mercy! I always think of the Cedar property. When we were going and when we were going to purchase in Tacoma, it was such a growing market at that yeah. time. Well, hey, we woulda, coulda, shoulda. 
All right, folks. So let's get into the podcast. Today, our podcast is going to be about refinancing. Um, We went from our first property, we went from an FHA to a conventional loan. Um, And if you don't know what an FHA or conventional loan is, please refer to Google all your <laughs> all your definitions federal and terms housing and administration is the it's a federal loan backed by the government that's fha three and a half percent down conventional you could put five percent some loans three percent home ready it's, no it's, but the typical conventional not, loan it, is 20 percent. it's not backed by a government loan yeah so one is backed by government the other one is not simple right. simple simple thank you google yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, again, we're going to talk about refinancing going from an FHA to a conventional loan. Now, an FHA loan, um, uh, again, as Ramon said, is 3.5% down. Conventional loan is usually, typically 20%. Um, and another thing with the FHA loan is it comes with, is it PMI or MPI? It comes with private mortgage insurance. PMI is conventional, MIP, mortgage insurance, premiums, They're the same thing. Same thing. But when you um, go from having that insurance that's included in your payment with FHA and you go to conventional, you're able to um, get rid of that insurance. Typically. Not all the time, but typically. And again, the mortgage insurance we're talking about that is a insurance for the lender in case you default on your loan. Yes, absolutely. I did not explain it. I'm sorry. So you that's a that's a premium that you have to pay every month with your mortgage. So the sooner you get out of paying that, the better. Right. Sometimes it can be two hundred. You're paying two to three hundred dollars extra per month that you're paying, and that percentage is uh, for FHA. I know is one point. I'm sorry, 0.85% of your loan. Of your loan, yeah. And um, here are just some reasons that people refinance. Um, As Ramon said, you want to get rid of the PMI. Uh, You want to do a cash out and receive your equity. And we'll talk about that. It's called a cash out refi. A cash out refi. Um, going from an adjustable rate mortgage, which is called an ARM loan, to a fixed rate, um, lowering your interest rates, receiving lower payments. Um, you can consolidate debt. There's a lot of different reasons that you would go from an FHA to a conventional loan. We'll discuss the reasons we did. Um, And basically what refinancing is, is the process of replacing an existing mortgage with a new loan. So it's like going through the process of getting a new mortgage loan all over again. But there are some things that you need to do differently, which we'll also discuss. Um, And again, typically people do it just to reduce their monthly payments. Um, Regardless of the goal of refinancing, it pretty much again works the way it you know what the way your first mortgage loan did so just as when you applied for your first mortgage loan you'll do the same process again for refinancing 
Um, so you need to take the time to research your loan options if refinancing is an option for you. Um, go through and collect your financial documents and submit a mortgage refinancing applica application to see if you can be approved. Now, um, I'll just kind of touch on this briefly because Ramon will go more in depth. But right now during COVID, this is a great time to refinance if you have not. If that is an option to you, do it. Interest rates, again, are lower, which will primarily, primarily, excuse me, make your payments lower. Now, the, the, um, the timeline on it is, is very long um, because a lot of the banks are backed up with um, refinancing um, requests and applications, and also um, they're prioritizing new mortgage loans over refinancing. So a refinance, something that normally takes 30, sometimes, sometimes 45 days, it could take like three to four months. So they are very um, delayed in, you know, uh, in um, processing your refinancing application. All right. So um, we talked about what refinancing is, how it works and reasons to refinance. What were some of the reasons that we decided to refinance when we went from our FHA loan to a conventional loan for our quadplex? Uh, we were trying to cash our refinance and we were trying to lower our interest rate. Um, so those are two big reasons. So, um, the first time we did a refinance, we did a cash out refi and that was so we can pull money, pull equity out of the property, uh, to attempt to go buy another property. Um. And the second time, I don't know how many times that we refired. <laughs> I can't even remember. <laughs> well, the last time we refired, it was to lower the interest rate, but not cash out refi because we were dropping. Usually they tell you the best, it only makes sense to refinance if your lower rate, if your new rate is going to be at least a, a 1% or higher. Okay. Like it makes sense. If it's less than that, then it may not make sense because of the cost that you're going to have to pay to refinance. So what do you mean when you say it only makes sense if it's 1% or higher? You mean the interest rate would decrease by 1%? Right. So if you if you bought a house at 4.5% interest rate and then a year later, interest rates drop and now you can refinance at three and a half percent. Then that makes sense. Okay. Because you may go from paying fifteen hundred a month to twelve hundred a month. That's three hundred dollars less. Right. You know, you can use that for a lot of stuff. So um that makes sense. But if you're going from a four and a half percent to four percent, mm, you kinda have to weigh your option because you have to pay to refinance. So exactly. those costs, even though they're going into your loan, you're still paying it. It may not make sense for you to refinance it for just that a half a percent less. And since right now we are specifically talking about going from FHA loans to a conventional loan, we'll kind of, you know, 
talk about a little bit about us going from an FHA to an FHA streamline because you said um, we did another um, refinance. So I, I want to kind of just discuss what how that works and what that is, why people would go from an FHA loan to an FHA streamline. So FHA streamline is... So so you can't do a FHA uh, I'm sorry. So you cannot do a cash out refinance with the FHA loan. Um the only refinance that you can do um is a streamline. Right. If you're keeping the FHA. And the FHA streamline, there's a couple of them. There's a a, a no closing cost FHA streamline and then there's a couple where there is a a couple of closing costs. Um if you one main reason to do an FHA streamline refinance is to drop your interest rate to drop your mortgage payment. So we did that before because we ended up dropping our mortgage payment uh, about three hundred dollars. So you know we went from paying you know one amount to a new amount and we saving three hundred extra dollars a month, and we didn't even have to pay any closing costs. Like any other, any close, any cost that was with that FHA loan, which the only uh, cost that you have to pay is a new upfront mortgage insurance. Okay. So every FHA loan has an upfront mortgage insurance premium, which is 1.75% of your loan. So that has to be paid upfront. It's called upfront. Now, a lot of times they will let you put that in your loan so you don't have to essentially pay it upfront. So with the streamline, they'll put all of that in your new loan. And if you already have an FHA, so you, when you, okay, so this is going to sound a little confusing. I'm trying to break it down. So, well, let's talk about the, really quick before you get into that. Okay. Some of the benefits of going from a standard FHA loan to an FHA streamline uh-huh. is that you don't have to worry about a lot of paperwork. Yep. It usually goes quicker, as Ramon said before. You're getting a lower interest rate, but again, if it's if it's um, more than one percent that it's, or excuse me, if it's less than one percent that the um, payment or your loan, excuse me, is decreasing, it's not worth doing. Um, you don't need an appraisal. Did I say that already? Uh, simple eligibility requirements. You don't have to do the application um, process where they do a whole bunch of verification as they did before. They'll do some, mm-hmm. but not as much as what they did prior, you know, to yeah. the original FHA loan. So it can that can be an option for you if you're like, I don't want to do a conventional because and the fees also, are going to be higher. They also do pull your credit, but it doesn't show up. So it's a soft pool. So when you, you know, normally when you're going to refinance or buy a property, you get a hard inquiry because they're going to pull your credit. Well, with the FHA Streamline, they do a soft pull, so it doesn't show up on your credit. They just basically look at it. Uh, So, yeah, like you said, it's it's streamlined. So, like you said, there's no paperwork. You're not going through the whole process you went through before. They're just basically giving you a new FHA loan. Um, But real quick, so when you get your original FHA mortgage, you pay that upfront mortgage insurance. Your F, your upfront mortgage insurance, as far as you getting that credit, so let's say eight months later, 
you decide to do an FHA streamlined refinance, you get a credit from the upfront mortgage insurance that you paid when you originally got the loan. And you get that credit towards your new upfront mortgage insurance on your refinance. So that just kind of goes back into your new loan. Um, but it's, you know, I won't go too far into it, but it is a good little tool to use. And even, you know, with, uh, with the FHA Streamline, because you're not paying anything really upfront, they're not pulling your credit, they're not having to do an appraisal, it may make sense to do it even if you're dropping your interest rate at half a percent or three quarters because of that fact. But normally when you're doing a normal rate and term, what they call rate term refinance, so you just refinancing to get a lower interest rate, usually you want to try to do it if it's a percent lower or more. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's talk about um, refinancing during COVID. I mean, this is pretty much standard for the last what, five months, just about how the, how the timeline works, anything, any information that you have to give to people that would be refinancing during this time. That's like, what's going on? You know, I've been, (laughs) basically I've been waiting. Uh, The the main thing is it's going to take longer because they're prioritizing people who are uh, acquiring properties who are making new loans. They're giving them, you know, presidents, presidents yeah. over you that you're that you're refinancing. They already have you, right? So they're like, okay, we'll get to you. You're just trying to refinance to get in and take advantage of the lower interest rates. But this person over here is buying a new property, so we want to we want to give them the loan. They're not going to tell you that necessarily, but uh, that's what's happening. So if you're refinancing right now during COVID. And it's been like a month or two. Uh, don't think it's just you. Right. Like, there's a lot of people going through that because there's a, a high, high, high number of people that are refinancing right now and people that are buying property. So um, ours, we just did one, and it took, it took about four months. Yeah, four months. Like, it took forever. And it wasn't four months of us going back and forth with them. Like, okay the underwriter asking for additional information. It was just four months of, well, hey, uh, did you email them and see, you know, what, if they can give us a, you know, some sort of timeline or just an estimation of time or something. And it was just like, hey, we're working on it. We'll get to you. You're doing good. You, you, you're approved. You know, like they were basically just telling us in a nice way, be patient. You know, we're getting to you. Mm-hmm. And it just went on literally for four months. So that was kind of um, irritating. It was very irritating <laughs> to wait that long for a refinance um, because anything could happen. You know, there's so many different changes. Again, the market is volatile. So you want to make sure also if you are refinancing, you lock that rate in just in case you have to wait four to six months because during this time, COVID they were saying that it can take up to six months for a new loan and for refinancing. But again, as Ramon said before, they're prioritizing new mortgage loans over refinancing because um, they already have you, so to speak, as Ramon just, you know, says, you already have the loan, so you'll have to be, 
you know, put on the back burner, which goes into the next question. When you, um, when you refinance, should you use the same lender or look for a new lender to refine? It just depends on how, how you like that lender, I should say, how that process went. Um, sometimes it's more, it's more convenient to use the same lender. They have your information and everything. They just may ask you a couple of questions just to get update information. You know, are you still working? You know, did you uh, did you get a raise? You know, are you still making the same amount of money? Just a couple of things like that. So um, sometimes it is better to use the same lender because um, some and sometimes they have you know better rates, um, but still shop around because you don't know who else is out there, especially now that it's giving out better interest rates, uh, you know, just better terms, period. Um, and as far as the the inquiries, because I know with us that was an issue because you start going out shopping for lenders and you may shop three, four, or five different lenders until you find the one that you want. But now you have all those inquiries and it's going to drop your credit. But this is the thing about when you're shopping for a home. First of all, you want to do your research. You want to speak to the lenders first before they even pull your credit and see and get as much information as you can about their terms. And then let them, you know, because they won't be able to give you a specific uh, specific terms on your loan until they pull your credit. And then once they pull your credit, then they can give you um, what they call the, uh, shoot, I can't even think of the term right now, but it's basically just a term sheet that shows your interest rates and everything that they're going to give you if you go ahead and get along with them. So um, you can actually shop lenders according to Equifax.com 14 to 45 days. Now, if you go to five lenders, that is five inquiries on your credit. But it does not damage your credit as if you had went and applied for five different credit cards. Because when the lenders look at your credit, they see that you're shopping for a loan. So even though you went to five different lenders, they'll only look at it as one inquiry. So your credit won't drop substantially over those five inquiries because you're shopping for a loan, for a home. Now, if you go out and apply for a Chase credit card, Best Buy, <laughs> Sears, Chuck E. Cheese, or whoever, you gonna, your, your credit score is going to drop. Right. You know, because you're just going out. Lenders will look at that and think that you, you'll look desperate. Like you're going out here just trying to find credit. So, um, don't really, you know, don't really worry about your interest. Um, so your credit score dropping a whole lot. Um, just do your research on the lenders, find out as much information as you can, and then let them run your credit, and then narrow it down to the person, the lender that you want to go with. Okay, wow, that's a lot of good information. Um, so basically, it, it's totally up to the borrowers um, to decide whether or not they want to keep the same lender or um, look for a new lender. Now, in our case, what, why did we get a new lender? Well, 
We got a new. Actually, the first time we didn't get a new lender. We used oh, the same yeah, we lender. Said we used the same lender. I forgot about uh, that. Yeah, we did use and Bill. I'm actually glad we used the same lender because we got our, our interest rate was, was a little higher than I think a couple of uh, other lenders, but he, uh, like I said, had all our information and he was good. So there was a lot of things I know we didn't have to go through, and the house appraised for what he said it would. So I was cool. <laughs> yeah, with that. we were able to pull up, pull the cash out, um, as Ramon stated before. So we went from an FHA to a conventional refi, um, with the ability to pull cash out, um, which was our equity that um, we had, and we did that in what was it? A year, one year, a year and a half, or something like that. We did it in a year and three months. A year and three months after we um, purchased our property, which was great. I mean, there was a significant increase in value um, for like properties in the in our area at that time, which definitely helped. Um, and that goes into our next uh, topic, which is appraisals for refinance. Your home or property doesn't need to be refinanced. Um, or excuse me, reappraised if you are refinancing your property. Um, and the process is still the same. You're going to see an independent professional come out and evaluate your home. Remember, this is supposed to be a non-biased opinion. Um, and we'll just go with that for now. But there are a couple of things that need to be done before that property is appraised for a refinance. Ramon, what are some of the things that you suggest that people do prior to um, their property being refinanced or appraised for refinancing? Uh, you want to check your credit. Make sure your credit is right. So hopefully you don't have any new uh, bank refsies, charge-offs, liens, late payments. Um, just make sure your credit right. Right. Because uh, they are going to pull your credit again. Um, and this is when, again, if you're going from FHA to a conventional FHA. Well, this is, this is any refinance. Well, yes. I mean, but Streamline is a, can be a little bit different. So we're, I just want to, you know, make it known that we're specifically talking about FHA to conventional. True. As far as appraisals. But, oh, you said as far as appraisals? If I, yes, as well, far as appraisals. Any, well, let me just say. Any refinance is the same. They're still pulling your credit. And if you got anything janky on your credit, it's still going to affect your refi. But, like she said, you know, the appraisal is different. Streamline FHA, there is no appraisal. Every other refinance, there is an appraisal. So, um, but any refinance, like I said, again, make sure your credit is good. Don't have uh, any changes in your employment. Don't quit your job right before. Don't you know? Start to try to start a new job. If you, you know, if you have a wife, husband, girlfriend, boy, whoever's gonna be on the loan with you, same thing. Make sure they don't quit their job. And this is from the time you start the process to the time you close. You can quit after you refinance, <laughs> but don't do it while you refinance. Once everything is secure, then you make those major yeah. changes. <laughs> don't uh, don't go out and make no major purchases. Don't go buy no new car. Don't go uh, buy. Don't don't make any. 
if you about to buy it and you have to question it, don't do it. Because right. you're refinancing. You don't want to make you don't want anything to mess that up. Because they're looking at that. And they also pull your credit right before you close because they're checking again. Sometimes they'll even call your job to make sure you're still working. So, again, you want to stay on your P's and Q's. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, well, you know what? Those are probably the major things right now, I'm going to say, when you're uh, going through uh, the refinance of the appraisal. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the getting your property, you mean like getting the property ready for the appraisal? Yes, yes. Sorry, okay. Absolutely. So getting the property ready for appraisal, uh, you want to make sure the property looks good. So, because when that, unfortunately, a lot of these appraisers, you don't know who you're going to get. And some of them look, will look at your property as a, as a house, even if it's a duplex, triplex, fourplex, right? Which is still an income producing property. So you you know you want the grass to be cut. Um, if you got a lot of potholes in the driveway, you really kind of want to get that fixed. And then you don't have to get a whole new paved driveway. Um, you, you know they got the little Home Depot. You can go and fill those potholes and do it yourself, uh, or pay someone to do it. Um, what are some of the things that we did um, prior to our appraisal for our refi? Well, we we did have our our driveway paved. Because uh, we had a <laughs> we had a bunch of potholes, it didn't look right. Right. We had our driveway repaved. Um, I mean, the grass always stay cut. I cut it, um, but we did get the, the the property painted. We hired a guy to come out um, to paint the whole property. Um, the roof, I actually got up there uh, a few times, and we had a excuse me, we had a bunch of moss on the uh, roof and I had to get up there and put some uh, these like white pellets and so when it rains it it kills the moss and the, the moss will wash down off the roof into the gutter so when you look at the gutter I'm sorry when you look at the roof it looked like it's new now the roof was a little older but it it looked clean so it was clean because we had we lived in um, Washington State at that time so there, of course, the trees are very, very prominent out there, and there's several. There were several around the uh, around our property, and um, we would see a lot of moss on both roofs at our properties. So anyway, we did that, and then we had somebody clean out the gutters, uh, clean the gutters out. Um, we uh, we did some other little things like anything. Cosmetically, we try to we try to attack that. Uh, we change the outside light fixtures, so even at night when it when it when everything lights up, it just looks good. Grass is cut, driveway paved, and uh, the inside. I mean, we can only do so much. We made sure everything was was fixed and working. The appraiser really doesn't come through and check that as much. They do take pictures of the inside though, uh, and if you have a tenant that's dirty, you can't really control it. But um, the main thing they're looking at is just uh, any kind of major, uh, maybe certain appliances, maybe, you know, if you have anything, any newer uh, capital improvements. Yeah, holes um, in the wall, electrical, and, noticeable electrical problems or plumbing, something like that. That's what the appraiser would be looking for. And then uh, the income. That's one of the major things. So if you can increase the income in those units, 
do that before you refinance because that can have a big impact because they're still comparing your property to at least uh, three to four other comparables is yours. So they're looking at the size, square footage, any capital improvements, and income. If your income is a couple hundred dollars less than the other comparable properties, then you probably won't get yours appraised for as much as they're worth. So if you have a chance to, if you know uh, a tenant lease is coming up for renewal, or uh, and you want to move them out, or you want to keep them, and you want to get that rent up to at least market rent. If you can get it higher, hey, the higher the better, um, because that is going to increase the the value of your property. All right. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to add to that? No, ma'am. Moving on. <laughs> All right. So, um, refinancing as owner occupied with twenty percent equity. Now, I didn't I didn't know what you meant by that question, so I'm just reading it as it was written. Um, so, all right. So now when you're refinancing, I think that we, did we go over the uh, different types of refinancing already? Did we go over that? We briefly went over. I'll just say it real quick. Cause yes. we don't want to spend too much time on that. Right. So the different types of refinancing, one we already talked about is the FHA streamline. The, uh, another one is the rate term, uh, refinance. That's when you're just refinancing from, uh, to get a lower interest rate. And then the other one is a cash out refinance. Those are the main refinances that you're gonna be doing. When you talk about the 20% equity, so when you're trying to go from an FHA loan to a conventional loan because you wanna get rid of the mortgage insurance, you have to have at least 20% equity in your property in order to get out of that FHA loan. So, to know if you have that, you basically take the value of your property, you subtract, what I would do, subtract 80%, and it's going to give you an amount, and then you take that amount and subtract it from the balance that you owe on your property. And then that'll let you know, basically, if you have the 80% equity. And if you, you know, if you're able to take any money out. So, um... That is where the 20% equity kind of uh, question came from because I know some people, you know, depending on, you know, if you want to keep the FHA and you want to do a streamline, hey, have at it. If you want to get rid of that, uh, that FHA to go to a conventional, you need at least 20% equity. Um, and as far as when you have 20% equity, we will talk about it, that escrow account. But, yeah, so that we'll go with that question. So, um, and just to kind of go back to the FHA to FHA Streamline. The reason why you would go to an FHA Streamline is, again, if you wanted a lower interest rate and you did not have 20% equity. Is that correct? Yes. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Because some people, yeah, yes. Because, well, yeah, if you want to do an FHA, it's kind of a hard question. I can't really say yes, you know, definitely or no. Mm -hmm. Because... Like I said, FHA Streamline, you can do a no closing cost. Mm-hmm. So you may not have the money to pay to do a regular rate term refinance. So I'll just do an FHA, keep the FHA, pay the mortgage insurance, but I can refinance and get a lower interest rate and I don't pay any money out of my pocket. I don't have to go through an appraisal and I don't have to take an inquiry hit on my credit. But if I want to take the hit on my credit 
and I want to, you know, try to get out of this FHA and I want to get to a conventional loan and get rid of the mortgage insurance, then I need to have at least 20% equity in my property. Okay. But a lot of times people will do FHA streamline because they don't have 20% equity. Yes, a lot of times, yes. Okay. Okay, so that's an option. Again, if you, you know, you don't feel like you're ready for a conventional loan. So with the conventional loan, um, or let me jump back. Going from an FHA to a conventional loan, there was a reason why we did what we did. Um, we were listening to a major real estate pod, podcast at the time, and they have a method called the Burr Method. Um, and, uh, they suggest doing exactly that. Um, explain what the bird method is. So the bird method is, it's a B and three R, four R's. So that's the buy, you buy the property, you rehab, you rent it out, you refinance, and then you repeat. And that is basically what you're trying to do. And you just keep doing that. But what happens with that bird method that um, doesn't really get told is if you don't buy the property right, you can't complete this bird method every year. Because that's what they talk about. They say, hey, the bird method, you can buy a property, you rehab it, you rent it out. You go and refinance it, and you do it again, and next year you can do the same thing, and every year you keep doing this. If you don't buy that property right, you're going to find out that's not the case. What do you mean when you say buy it right? Meaning, if you want to do, if you want that bird method to work the right way, mm-hmm. how they're saying it, you need to buy that property so right. <laughs> so right. <laughs> so right. That your after repair value, mm-hmm. when you go to refinance, you have at least, I'm going to say, 25 to 30% equity okay, in that property to where you can go to a bank and do a cash out refinance as a non-owner occupier. Oh, okay. And a non, if you refinance as a non-owner occupier, which means you don't live in the property, most banks will only give you a max cash out re, uh, max cash out loan to value of seventy percent. If you guys don't know what loan to value is, Google that. LTV. LTV loan to value is just the loan to the value. So, um, <laughs> so loan to value. So seventy percent is the most they'll give you. So now what happens? And I'll tell you what happened to us once we found out that. You know, the bird method did not work the yeah, way I was, we wanted it to. I was kind of mad. I was like, "This is bullshit!" Like they <laughs> they they, they lied or BS. something. So we bought the property. The value went up. So we said, "Hey, we're gonna refinance, and we're gonna take some cash out the equity, go buy another property, right?" Because that's part of the bird method. And the value went up a hundred and how much? One hundred and ninety thousand. One hundred and ninety thousand. Okay, so go in a year. What right? you're saying? All right. So we went to go refinance. So the lender we used was the same lender we had to buy the property. He could get us a a, a refinance, cash out refinance at seventy five percent loan to value. I mean, we had to leave twenty five percent equity in the property. Okay, cool. 
And because we were still living there as owner-occupier, we had a lower interest rate. Well, then what happens is <laughs> when you go to refinance, because you're refinancing as an owner-occupied buyer, because you're still living there, you now have to occupy the property for another 12 months because you just restarted your loan over. See, when you refinance, that old loan gets paid off and then you are now making a new loan. Right. And as an owner-occupied buyer, even though we had over 20% equity in the property, Mm -hmm. we were refinancing as an owner-occupied. So owner-occupied loans, you have to occupy the property for another 12 months, at least 12 months before you can now move out and move someone else in. So why did we have to stay in the property? We didn't have to stay in the property, but this is the thing. If we would have moved out and rented those units out and then went to go refinance to pull equity out, we are now considered non-owner occupied buyers. Mm-hmm. So now the banks say, instead of we instead of giving you 75% loan to value, the most we can give you is 70% loan to value. Right. That 5% is a big amount. It is. It, it was. So <laughs> we didn't have that extra 5% in the in the in the property. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We would have to pay more on the loan to pay it down or you know right then or wait longer to refinance. Yeah. Or we would have had to bring more money to the to, to the table to right. the table to closing um to refinance as a non-owner occupied. So that was one reason that we stayed in the property for another year. And and let me give a quick calculation as people who listen to kind of because i know sometimes this can kind of seem confusing so let's just hypothetically say that you bought your your property for two hundred thousand, and a year later is now worth three hundred and ten thousand. so now you're still living there and you say hey we want to refinance and pull some cash out so now the bank says okay we're going to give you 75% loan to value, right? You got to leave 20% in there. So we're going to pay off your old loan, and we're going to make a whole new loan. So your property is worth 310000 but let's say right now you owe 190000 So you take 310000 you subtract 75%, and you get 232500 So that's how much... Your new loan is two hundred thirty-two thousand five hundred, but remember, you only owe one hundred ninety thousand on your old loan. So you take that, subtract it by one hundred ninety thousand. That leaves you forty-two thousand five hundred. So you have the choice of having a new loan of two hundred thirty-two thousand, and that forty-two thousand five hundred. They'll give you that back at closing, and a check. So you have your old loan is paid off. You have a new loan for two hundred thirty-two thousand, and you just get a check at closing for forty-two thousand. That's a cash out refi. So now you could take that forty-two thousand and go buy another property, pay your debt off, whatever you want to do. But let's say you you moved out. You moved out. You moved some tenants in, and you say, "Hey, let's go refi." 
So remember, the property is worth three hundred ten thousand. You only owe one hundred ninety thousand. But the bank says, well, because you no longer occupy the building, you are now a non-owner occupier. You're, you're an investor. You're considered an investor. Now the most we can give you is seventy percent loan to value. So if you do three hundred ten thousand minus seventy percent, that's two hundred seventeen thousand. You owe 190000 So 217000 minus 190000 is 27000 So right there, by you moving out, you cost yourself $15,000. Now, you can do that because if you refinance as an owner-occupier, you no longer have to live in the property. You can move out the day after you refinance. Right? Well, I guess you already moved yeah, out you because yeah. you already got some people <laughs> in the property, Right. right. But that 5%, that 70 to 75, that extra 5% is $15,000. So if you stayed in the property and refinanced, you would get 75% loan to value. You would get $42,000 back at closing. But now you have a new loan as an owner-occupied buyer, and you have to stay in that property now for another 12 months, which means you cannot move out and go and buy another property. But if you moved out, and you had the equity in there, you would get $27,000 back at closing, and now you can go and buy another property as owner-occupied. So the Birdman, they didn't really tell us this. Right. We was trying to, we were trying to figure out, like, oh, we got to stay here for another 12 months? <laughs> we kept asking until, okay, like, the, yeah, the answer was going to change. Like, hey, what do you, this bird method don't work. What do you, you know, somebody lied to us because... Now we can't go get another property as owner occupied. That was our plan. You buy a property, owner occupied. You live in it for a year. You do a refinance, pull money out. You move out, rent it out, and go buy another property. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how the bird method really works. You need to buy that property right. That's when you make your money. It's when you buy it. If you know, you gotta know that. Hey, okay. I'm going to pay this much for the property. I know we're going to live here for a year. I know what I can rent the units for. And I know what the value is going to be. And I know how much I'll have equity in this property. So you have to be clairvoyant. You've got to be able to predict the future. (laughs) No, it's not necessarily predicting the future. Because let's say that property hasn't been taken care of. But you know the other properties in that area are worth a hundred, two hundred thousand more than what that property is. This is where you gotta do your numbers, you gotta do your research, you gotta do your homework, or you're gonna be bird mathing, <laughs> doing this bird method every two years. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing, but it they, really delays your process of, you know, having a, a larger they proclaim to do it every year. That was the issue. They mm-hmm. said every year you can do you can buy another property, owner occupied. But they left that information out. So, yeah. Of course, you know, things are different for everyone, so it depends on what your situation is. We're not saying it doesn't work. It just did not work for us and and not the way it was explained, you know, the thousand times we've listened to um the podcast about the Burr method. So, I mean, absolutely, if it works for you, great. Continue to do it. We we definitely advise it. Um, But enough of the Burr method, because we did talk about the pros and cons of it. And again, that is buy, 
What am I missing? Buy. Rehab. Rehab. Rent. Rent. Refinance. Refinance. Repeat. repeat. Okay. So, um, how many FHA loans can be borrowed at once? And are there exceptions? If you're able to borrow more than one FHA loan. So, this is a question that, for some reason, a lot of people have misconstrued. Because they're saying, no, no, they just you, have wrong. That too. So they said, <laughs> no, you can't. You can't have no more. You cannot have more than one FHA loan ever. And then some people say, yeah, you can have. You can buy a second home. So this is this is the deal. You can only have one FHA loan at a time. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Except there is exceptions. One exception is if. You move 100 miles or more away from your first property that you have the FHA loan on. That's one, right? Uh, let's say you relocate, your job relocates you. You can now get another FHA loan. The other exception is if your family size increases. You have triplets quadruplets or something, you know. If you have an extra <laughs> kid, let's say you got a two bedroom or uh let's say you got a one bedroom. You're gonna need a FHA loan and uh <laughs> and the hospital because your ass is gonna have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. So let's say you got a you got a one bedroom you know, or you got a two bedroom. And you know, y'all sleep in one bedroom and the second bedroom is an office. And you having a kid now, okay, well you need an extra bedroom. You the you can actually go get an uh, another FHA loan. Because your family size has increased. Um, the another exception is if you bought the property jointly with, uh, let's say, uh, two families. You know, you guys went to go buy a four-unit property, and one family stayed in one unit, the other family stayed in the second unit, and you rented the other two units out to someone else. Well, let's say one of the families say they decide to leave. They can now go and get another FHA loan for their own selves. Um, another exception is if you divorce. Let's say you're splitting up, you know, ex-spouse. Let's or let's say you know that. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's say that the other exception would be is if the applicant is a non-occupying co-borrower. So if you had your mom mm-hmm. or your dad sign for you. Mm-hmm. But they don't live in the property with you. They were just a co-borrower. They can go and get an FHA loan. Oh, okay. I see. I'm like, what? Yeah. Okay. They can can go and get an FHA loan. I was thinking about something else with the whole divorce stuff. But so yeah, you can get more than one FHA loan with those exceptions. What you thinking about with divorce? It was another uh, like if you wait, kind of the refinance like, and we're probably. I'll probably touch on that in a minute. So, um, also, when you are refinancing, prior to refinancing, you always want to do your due diligence. As Ramon said, you want to, if you if there's um, room, you want to increase the rents. You want to do as many repairs or whatever you can do to get your property um, valued higher. But you also want to check comps. Now, this is pretty simple, um, and, and comps is just comparable properties. So if anything, 
um, Ramon <laughs> will explain that also. Um, what do you suggest when you're checking um, comps for refinancing? Uh, I always check the websites. What websites? Um, like redfin.com, Zillow, uh, realtor.com. And uh, you can set notifications. So if any property like yours or any multifamilies in the area, when they sell, it'll send you a notification. And if you can see that any of those properties is within, uh, I want to say, what is it, a mile, square mile radius? Um, well, let's just keep it simple and say uh, uh, up to a block, them is the best ones. Near your property, those are going to be your comps. Um, you want to look at how much, they, obviously, how much they sell for. You want to see if the um, the square footage of your units are very close. Like if you have two bedrooms, one bath, and they have two bedrooms, one bath. Um, and the income, you know, if you can find out how much they're renting their units out for, that also, and you can find that out. Uh, there's a website called rentometer.com, R-E-N-T, rent, O-M-E-T-E-R, rentometer.com. And uh, you can pay, I think, for a year. I think it might be 100 bucks. But they'll, you can put in any address, and it'll tell you the market rent in the area, and it'll, it'll give you the median and the lowest to the highest rent in the area. And they'll also give you a list of other properties and how much their rents are. I don't know exactly how they get that information, but it's pretty accurate. Okay. So, yeah, you can... I'm assuming they probably get it from, like, tax records or, you know, something that's a local government or whatever. Somehow. Uh, but you can get that in. And then you can always go to your realtor, and they can pull up the MLS, and they can see some properties that you probably can't see um, that have sold, and they'll tell you, you know, how much your property will be worth. All right, and going into that, we're going to talk about, we should just probably do all these together, cash out refi uh, with loan to value for multi-units, um, escrow accounts going from FHA to conventional, and uh paying off your debt using the money for cash out refi, we could kind of go into what we did to pay off our debts using that that money, those funds. And you um, know, you want to talk about we that? We already talked about that already, uh, how your score is affected um, by, by the, the refi. refi. Yeah, and um, the time frame. So we, we kind of already touched on that. I mean, okay. if you want to go over that again, we can. So I'll just briefly, so... Again, yeah, we touched on the refinance. When you do refinance, it does affect your score because of the inquiries. It also affects your score in the other way is if you use a different lender to refinance, and sometimes even if you use the same lender, on your credit report, it'll show that that loan is paid off. So it'll it'll show paid off, and that might make your credit score jump up. Because, <laughs> Immediately jumps up, and then it goes right back Because down. of your debt-to-income <laughs> ratio, the... the the whole uh, method, you know, that they use on some of these websites, yeah, credit karma, the algorithms. Mm -hmm. So, um, in some cases, it might drop a couple points. But most cases, it's going to go up a little bit. And then, a month later, I think, or maybe a week later, 
your new loan pops up on your credit report. So don't trip on that. It's only going to affect your credit score a couple of points. Don't even worry. Within a month or two, it'll be back to normal. Um, now, as far as uh, the cash out refi loan to value for multi-units. So when you have a, <clears throat> excuse me, anything from a one to four unit property, the cash out refi is usually the highest on a house. A single family home. Single family house. And that's usually because it's a house. It's one property you live, and most people live there, right? So they want to give you the highest loan to value on your property. And it decreases usually when you go from a two to four unit. Um, a lot of banks won't go over 70%, surprisingly. But you can, there's a lot of banks out there that'll do 75% on a, a two to four unit. I've even seen some that will go up to 85% on a duplex. So, you know, you'll have some people tell you, no, you can never get a loan, 70% value, loan to value on the cash out refinance on a two to four unit. Don't believe that. There's banks out there that will. You just have to search. Um, and it may not just be banks in your city. There's there's national lenders. Right. You know, that are... Um, that will lend in your in your play, in your city where you live your your property. So um, now rate term refinance. This is when you're not doing the cash out. Um, normally on a one unit you can go up to. I want to say, well, yeah, I guess you can go sometimes three percent. So was that ninety seven percent loan to value if mm-hmm. you're a homeowner occupying? But if you're doing the cash, uh, yeah, that's that. This rate term mm-hmm. refinance. So. Um, but these, like you said, conventional is normally twenty percent. Um, so cash out refinance, that's those are loan to values. Now, as far as the escrow account, when you have an FHA and you go into conventional, FHA, you're always required to have an escrow impound account. It's called an escrow impound account, and that's just an account that you put money in, you pay it with your mortgage, but it goes into a separate account to pay for your taxes. Your insurance, right? That's the other thing. And your taxes mortgage insurance. And your mortgage insurance. So your mortgage insurance, your taxes, your property taxes, and your home insurance. Mm-hmm. You pay into that every month with your mortgage, and they separate that money for you, and they pay those three things for you. So you don't even have to worry about it. It's not additional funds. It's funds that you've already paid into. So once you make that payment... It's split up into principal and then whatever goes into your escrow account. So if you pay two thousand a month, they might take a thousand of that and put it towards your principal interest of your property. The other thousand, they're gonna pay your mortgage insurance off. They're gonna pay uh, towards your uh, home insurance and then your property taxes. Now they're not paying the property taxes and the home insurance every month. You've already paid that up when you bought the property. They're now putting that into a basically like a savings account. So when the time comes to pay your taxes and your insurance, they'll have the money there to pay it for you. Um, but now when you refinance out of the FHA to conventional, which means now you have at least 20% equity in your property, you are not required to keep the escrow impound account. You can if you want to. If you feel like, hey, look, I'm not that responsible well, I don't feel like paying the taxes and insurance on my on my own. You can keep it, but I I wouldn't do it because <laughs> pay it on your own. Your mortgage payment on your on your credit report might show two thousand, 
but you only paying a thousand towards your your property, your your principal interest. Well, if you pay your taxes and insurance on your own, now on your credit report is only shows you paying a thousand. That's gonna that's gonna affect your credit, your debt to income, because you went from paying two thousand to a thousand. Pay your taxes and your insurance on your own. Take the escrow account away. It just works better. Um, then last but not least, paying off debt using money from a refi cash out. Yeah, so when we did a cash out uh, refinance going again from FHA to a conventional cash out refi, um, we paid off a lot of our debt. It worked for us. Um, and we were able to apply some of that money to, to a new property. So, I mean, that worked for us. Do you want to discuss a little bit more about, um, how that worked? So, um, I've told people this cause you know, I know a lot of times people, you know, you get a, a lump sum of money. And a large lump sum in, want, in most cases, hopefully you want to go buy a new car, you know, which is Ball cool. Out. You said who? Or ball out. Or ball Make out. It rain. Yeah, you buy, buy a new car, buy a, a, a boat, buy a new, you know, whatever. Or go to P-Valley, whatever you decide. <laughs> <laughs> or take a trip, whatever you want to do, right? <laughs> just, just understand what you're doing, right? So I like the property sense of it in the equity because that, this is such a great tool to use. You can literally use the equity in your property. It's this invisible thing <laughs> in your property. Your property is worth more than what you paid for it. And let's say you did want to go buy a new car. Why go buy it to make payments every month? Right. When you can literally go into your equity, cash out, pull money out of your property. Let's say it's $15,000. i am going to pull 15000 out of my property. I'm going to go to that car lot and I'm going to get them 15000 cash. Bow, here you go. They can say, hey, uh, <laughs> well, we got to run your credit to see how much you can pay per month. You say, I ain't paying per month. I'm paying today. Cash, there you go. Give me the car. Give me the keys. And it's paid. You put that joint in your garage. Now, that 15000 you still got to pay it through your mortgage. But let's, you have an income-producing property. And now that fifteen thousand, you're paying instead of you paying fifteen thousand. What's a normal uh, car loan term? Was it about five years? Yeah, five years, sixty six months. Years. Yeah, six, sixty so, months. Yeah, so up to sixty months, you're paying fifteen thousand. So that might be about three three hundred a month, right? Or less. Or less. Yeah, depending about, on your yeah, interest depending rate. On, depending on your interest rate, right? Mm -hmm. But now you can pay fifteen thousand over thirty years at let's say three percent interest rate yo yo <laughs> your mortgage payment might literally go up a couple dollars so which one would you rather have you're gonna go out here and buy a new car you're gonna put a couple thousand dollars down pay three hundred dollars a month plus insurance if the car breaks down unless you got to get warranty oil chain whatever or put the money out your equity in your house Pay it off and only pay a couple dollars extra a month, and you got tenants to help you pay that. So, what we did is we did that. You know, we had the personal loan, 
uh, student loan, car loan, uh, credit cards. We pulled equity out and we paid it all off. We didn't pay. We didn't. We paid our debt, but we still had money left over because we didn't have a ton of debt. Yeah, we still we still had some change left over, but. The reason why I suggest people doing that, if you have a lot of debt, and it's kind of forward thinking, because they may say, hey, you got enough equity in your property that when you refi cash out, you got $50,000, we'll give you at the closing. But let's say you got about 30000 in debt, you know, some of that student loan, credit cards, car loan. Now, if you're investing in real estate, you're not just trying to get one property. You're trying to go get another one. But remember, in your credit, there's that, that, there's that three-letter term, that debt-to-income ratio, uh, income, debt-to-income, DTI. They're looking at that every time you go and try to get another property. So if you come to a bank, let's say you already got a property, you go to the lender trying to get a second property, and you're like, hey, we got $50,000. They say, all right, cool. Let's pull up your credit report. You know, let's say your credit score is 700. But you still got a car loan. Let's say you owe 12000 You're paying 300 a month. You got a student loan. Let's say that's 10000 You're paying 150 a month. Let's say you got some credit cards. The rest of that's 10000 You know, you got a few credit cards that come up to 10000 You know, you're probably paying another $300 a month. That's six $700 a month that's going towards your debt to income ratio, that now you're qualifying for less of a property. If you pay all that off, your credit score increases. So now you might go from a 700 to a 730. And then now you don't have any debt. You paid your debt off. So when they go to look at your credit report for your second loan, they're like, oh, you might you might not have that 50,000 no more. You only may have 20, but guess what? You have a higher credit score and you don't have any more debt on your credit. You have another core, uh, property that's on your credit report, but it's bringing in income. So that's helping you. Now you're trying to buy another income property that's some more income. So you you know what I mean? You're kind of cleaning your slate and you're, you're, you're thinking ahead. So when you're taking that money out, it's gonna, don't go spending buying trips and buying a car. I know you say you can do that, but... If you really want to, that's the way to go buy a car. You know, pay it off. Right. But, cash you know, out refi. Cash out refi. You know what I mean? If you really, really want to go buy a new car. But if you're talking about, you know, purchasing property, you got to think ahead. Set yourself up. If you know your credit score needs some work, you know your credit got some debt on it that needs to be paid off, pay that off. Take the, take the equity out your property and pay it off. You know, be smart about it. That's what Absolutely. we did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and plus, if you're working and you're living on site at this property, that debt that you've paid off is going to help you with your earnings that you receive from your job because you have more money in your pocket when you receive your payroll check to, you know, to save or do with whatever you will. Once you receive that money, because that at first that money was going to paying car payments and as Ramon said, taxes and student loans. Now you don't have to worry about that. So you're saving more money 
um, in a lot of different ways. And Albert Einstein said it best. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. <laughs> so when you invest, you understand it and you're earning. When you don't invest, you're paying it. And, and that's, it's, it's sad to say that is why the poor gets poorer as the rich gets richer because the wealthy understands the process of compound interest, falling asleep and having your money work for you, um, which is the purpose of us doing this cash out refi podcast, just to teach you some different ways you can, you know, you can elevate your wealth, um, having your property be your legs into earning Earning your wealth. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to add, or I mean, listen, any gems you got? Pay your debt off because, like I said again, raise your interest rate. I mean, it raises your credit score. Mm-hmm. Um, your debt to income decreases, right? So you might have went from a forty percent debt to income to a twenty percent debt to income. You have more room to add more properties on your credit. Absolutely. And think about this. Your credit score increase, you can apply for another credit card or two, right? It's good to have credit. You might need those credit cards to help you in your purchase of, you know, things for your property. You want to have access to that. You can't get that if you have a lower credit score and you have debt on your credit because at some point, that debt on your credit is going to stop you from going further. It's going to stop you from getting that next property. Because the lender is going to say, your debt to income is too high. If you get this other property, it's going to take you over that threshold. You need to pay some of this off. You did? So, we, I, I'm, I'm dropping gems on y'all. Dropping gems. Because uh, this Make is what we rain. did. This is what we did. You know what I mean? Uh, hey, we paid the stuff off. Yes, we still got yes. some, a couple things like here and there, real small, but... Um, the most of the stuff that we have, we paid it all. Cars paid all, credit cards paid all, student loan paid all, except one. Uh, personal loan paid all. <laughs> except for Dr. Randolph. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they got to wait on that joke. Yeah, yeah, they do. COVID is uh, uh, next year. So, you know, but when you look at the credit, like, scores on went up. We can qualify for more. We can get more credit cards, you know. Um, there's a lot more you can do if you set yourself up for that. Like, we're not thinking about buying a new car. We can go do that, but we don't need to. You know, we have one that still work too, that still work and they still drive. We keep them up, you know. And don't, you know, what's the saying? People out here trying to uh, impress people who don't like you. Yeah, what Will Smith said. You're trying to impress people that don't like you and something else. I don't know. Basically. Hey, if people are doubting how far you can go, go so far you that you can't it. hear them yeah, anymore. So, and that's that's the purpose of this podcast. We were being doubted in a lot of different directions we were trying to go. I mean, we did have our, you know, we have our mentor there to, you know, solidify everything for us and to motivate us to continue, to, you know, to, to continue to keep going. However, you have naysayers that's like, oh, you can't do this. And why are you a landlord and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, we don't listen to that anymore because 
our lives have been so elevated by listening to our own voices. And on the money we sitting on, we can't hear you anyway. <laughs> the sounds is muffled. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Not yet, yeah, right, right, right. You know, if you're trying to get get robbed after the slow little podcast, (laughs) you're trying to get there. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta plan for the day. You know, for 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 ten years from now. You know, all the all the trinkets, all that is good. All that sound good. It's nice to have the new TVs, you know, and the new cars and the new clothes and all that stuff. I get it. Take the nice, you know, expensive trips. But at some point, that gas tank gonna be on E mm-hmm. if you didn't do things right. And credit, I know some people say it ain't. Credit is better than money. Yes, it is, and we all know that now. You see what I'm saying? Credit, like if you got twenty thousand dollars, you like, bro, I got twenty grand. You ain't got nothing, but I got good credit. I got you. I can walk into that bank and get you forty thousand. Maybe 50. You know, if I have a, a person, a private investor who has money and I have good credit with him, he may give me more. So credit is better than money. We stress credit. Pull your credit report. I think now, because of COVID, you are able to get a copy of your credit report every week. Oh, wow. Annualcreditreport.com. Uh, I mean, you have so many credit karma uh, Experian app, Credit, uh, credit, credit Sesame. Yeah, Credit uh, Suite. Uh, yeah. It's a Credit Suite. It's like S U I S S E. What's that? Credit Suisse, Swiss, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's another one I have. Bank Rate, I think, or something like that. But there's so many apps, websites that's out here that'll give you access to your credit score. So you have an idea. And sometimes, because I like the bank credit scores. I don't know what they pull, but I like them scores better. They seem more accurate. <laughs> I like them they, scores better like because their numbers is higher. They seem, they seem more accurate. I'm like, I don't know what algorithm they use, but it just seem more accurate. Like some of the apps, I just use it as a guide. Mm-hmm. You know, a credit card might say your score is 700, but the bank pulling is really 730. And you're like, okay, well, hold up. So, you know, but be mindful of your credit score. What's on your credit report? Get that cleaned up because I'm telling you, it helps you in the long run. It really does. And, and you know, you you probably don't see the importance of it now, but you will. And at that time, I hope it's just not too late. Absolutely. So that's the end of our show, folks. We want to thank you so much for listening to the Slow Wealth Podcast with Kendra and Ramon. Please subscribe, leave comments, love us, a.k.a. like us. And we are on Facebook at Slow Wealth. That's S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H. Success lives on elevation. Um, listen to us on Google Play. Uh, iTunes. iTunes. I always say Apple Podcasts. And Spotify. And now we're on Amazon. Amazon Music. Amazon Music, yes. I'm getting there. I'm getting techni- technically savvy. <laughs> All right. So, um, again... As our motivational quote goes, if people are doubting how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. God, that should resonate with you. Thank you again, folks. We love you. 
If you have any inquiries, you can email us at invest at slowwealth.com. That is I-N-V-E-S-T at S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And we'll holler. Peace.